Old Abe Lincoln came out the wilderness, came out the wilderness, came out the wilderness. Old Welcome Abe to the Lincoln Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series. We have an excellent show today with our guest, Walter Starr. Walter Starr will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates. Coming up here, the title of his presentation is Salmon P. Chase, Lincoln's Vital Rival. Walter Starr will be presenting via Zoom on December 13th, and you'll find ticket details and more information on our website. But we have Walter Starr with us today. Join me and New York Times best-selling biographer Walter Starr for a timely reassessment of Salmon P. Chase, Abraham Lincoln's indispensable Secretary of Treasury and a leading proponent for black rights before and during his years in the cabinet and as Chief Justice of the United States. Salmon P. Chase may not be a household name, but he should be, and is best remembered as a rival of Lincoln's for the Republican nomination in 1860, but there would not have been a national Republican Party, and Lincoln could not have won the presidency were it not for the vital groundwork Salmon P. Chase laid over the previous two decades. Starting in the early 1840s, long before Lincoln was speaking out against slavery, Salmon P. Chase was forming and leading anti-slavery parties. Salmon P. Chase represented fugitive slaves so often in his law practice that he was known as the attorney general for runaway Negroes, and he furthered his reputation as an outspoken federal senator and progressive governor of Ohio. Listen as we learn about Zion Church's role and how 5,000-plus formerly enslaved persons on May 12, 1865, responded to the Union Army finally arriving in town. Zion Church, the largest black church in Charleston, South Carolina, was packed for a political meeting on the afternoon of May 12, 1865. Most of the 5,000 people present had started their lives enslaved and gained their freedom only a few weeks earlier when the Union Army finally arrived in town. The main topic for this meeting, as the last rebel diehards fought the last battles of the Civil War, was Reconstruction, the process of forming new state governments in the South, and whether blacks as well as whites would participate in this process. The afternoon's first speaker, a white Union general, said that blacks had earned the right to vote through their service during the war. The remarks of the second speaker, a black army major, were interrupted by the arrival of the Chief Justice of the United States. The black crowd stood and cheered, and the military band played Hail to the Chief as Chief Justice Salmon Portland Chase walked down the aisle and up to the platform. More than anyone else, he looked the great man, one of his friends recalled, six feet tall, solid, strong, clean-shaven, nearing 60. The crowd cheered Chase not because of his work on the Supreme Court, he had been Chief Justice only for a few months, or because of his work as Treasury Secretary during the Civil War, although some called him Old Greenbacks for his role in creating the new green paper currency. No, the black Charleston crowd cheered Chase because he was known as a lawyer who had defended fugitive slaves and a leader who, in his various government roles, had always argued against slavery and in favor of black rights. 
That, of course, is our guest today, New York Times best-selling author Walter Starr. Walter Starr is author of the new book, Salmon P. Chase, Lincoln's Vital Rival. Salmon P. Chase was tapped by Lincoln to become Secretary of the Treasury. Our guest today, New York Times best-selling author Walter Starr, will tell us about how Salmon P. Chase would prove essential to the Civil War effort, raising billions of dollars that allowed the Union to win the war, while also pressing the president to emancipate the country's slaves and recognize black rights. Walter Starr tells us that when Lincoln had the chance to appoint a chief justice in 1864, he chose his faithful rival because he was sure Salmon P. Chase would make the right decisions on the difficult racial, political, and economic issues the Supreme Court would confront during Reconstruction. Drawing on previously overlooked sources, Walter Starr sheds new light on a complex and fascinating political figure, as well as on the pivotal events of the Civil War and its aftermath. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associate Walter Starr. Walter Starr, welcome to the program. Great to be here, virtually. (laughs) Good to be virtually in touch with you, too. Thank you. And We're going to talk today about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. I'm excited about this. I have your book, uh, Salmon P. Chase, Lincoln's Vital Rival, right here in my hands. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for sharing it with me, and uh, we're going to share it with our audience today. But why don't we begin by having you tell us a little bit about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, and in particular, how you're going to use Zoom to engage our audience. We're all on Zoom these days, so this will be a fun presentation. Well, having lived in Washington much of my life and spent many happy hours at the Smithsonian, I would love to be there in person to uh, to talk about Chase. Um, uh, there's a Smithsonian angle to Chase because as Chief Justice, um, he served as the president of the Board of Regents of the Smithsonian for not the last nine years of his life. Um, but given where we are, um, uh, this is going to be Zoom, um, and I'm hoping to, you know, use that to enable folks not in Washington, folks in North Carolina and up in New England and out here in California to um, to be part of the evening. Well, we're looking forward to it. We're going to put up links to where our audience can find out more information about the upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation with Walter Starr. Walter Starr, the book, Salmon P. Chase, Lincoln's Vital Rivals, getting great reviews. And, and you you talk a little bit about Lincoln in the sense that you, you contend that Lincoln could never have become president without the vital work that Chase had done in the preceding two decades. That's a long time time to have done work as a kind of a lead up. What what did Chase do? And especially over two decades that so that was so important to Lincoln? Um well unlike Lincoln and most Americans, um starting in the early 1840s, Chase was a leader in anti-slavery political parties. Uh, Lincoln remained a, a loyal Whig and his until the late 1850s, his anti-slavery views were pretty, you could, you could call him a closeted anti-slavery man in, um, in those years. Whereas Chase was out on the front lines. He was doing that nitty gritty work of uh, sending letters and buttonholing men and to persuade them to vote for first the Liberty Party. And then he 
kind of merged the Liberty Party with um, anti-slavery elements of the Whigs and Democrats to form the Free Soil Party. And then he merged that party into the Republican Party in the mid-1850s. Lincoln, during all this time, is basically practicing law. Um, he, he serves one term in Congress. Um, and it's only um, in uh, 1856 that Lincoln finally sort of very reluctantly says, okay, okay, I guess I'm a Republican now. Probably many are saying that these days. I guess I guess that's the case. What was it about Chase's upbringing and his family background that led him to this kind of progressive anti-slavery uh, uh, opinion and, and, and efforts? Um, well, Chase was originally from New England. So, you know, the, the, the hotbed of abolitionism. Um, but he was not, in his early days, he was not anti-slavery. Um, I think there's only one quote in the book that I quote twice. Um, it's um, a letter that he wrote when he was lived and worked in Washington in his 20s, in which he said that the, the kind of, the, the false sympathy that um, many affect to feel for the slaves is misplaced, that that Northerners should feel for the Southern masters who lived in terror of their slaves rather than for the slaves. That is not an anti-slavery quote. Um, so he, through a process of reading and reflection and prayer, um, kind of comes around and is converted to anti-slavery in the late 1830s, early 1840s. It's a very fascinating time. You also say that Chase was he was this very complex and fascinating individual. I wonder if you'd give us a couple of examples of that of that personality. Well, I've just you know talked about him as being anti-slavery, and one element of his anti-slavery was that he did a lot of what we would call pro bono legal work for blacks in Cincinnati, Ohio. Sometimes these were folks who had um, been brought to Ohio as slaves, and they the um, were being arrested as fugitive slaves, and he was contending, no, no, they're not fugitives if they were brought here. But other times it was just more simple matters. And I quote at length from a letter um, in which Chase describes one of his black clients, an older woman, and he's quite demeaning. I mean, he mocks her accent and her appearance and even how she smelled. And yet at the end of the letter, he says, that woman is likely to be in heaven before many of the white masters of the South, which, you know, sort of, you, you have this kind of stuff that you sort of put, hold off to one side, and then there you have this beautiful ringing passage um, in which he recognizes the woman's humanity and, and her place in the divine order. We are with Walter Starr. Walter Starr will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates coming up here. The title of Walter Starr's presentation is Salmon P. Chase, Lincoln's Vital Rival. It's also the title of Walter Starr's new book about Salmon P. Chase. I wonder if you tell us a little bit about those treasury days, because you referred to, you know, Mr. Greenbacks. And, yeah. And I—, I, I Maybe talk a little bit about the the creative ways that Chase raised the treasury coffers to, in particular, to support the war effort. Yeah, I mean the the scale is just amazing. You know, roughly before the war, the annual budget of the federal government is let's say fifty million dollars. 
Um, and by the end of Chase's time, near the end of the Civil War, it's a billion dollars a year. So that's a factor of 20. Um, he borrowed from banks, but perhaps the most kind of dramatic thing he did was um, go out and borrow in small amounts from the people and, and use advertising and local agents to, to um, get individuals some wealthy, some not so wealthy, to to loan their money to the federal government, um, and uh, and raised sort of what were at the time kind of unheard of sums. Um, Southerners after the war, some of them were quoted as saying that they they didn't lose the war on the battlefield; they lost the war um, among the bankers because they didn't have the money to 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 fund the war effort in the way the north did um i mean the the northern soldiers were really the the best paid best armed best fed soldiers um in history to that point so almost and, i'm sorry go go ahead no go go ahead paul oh i was just going to ask so he really this was some of the early days of uh, almost selling treasury notes and bonds to support a, a right and then and then the other thing that he did was he kind of used the crisis of the civil war to force through legislation that he'd been thinking about for a long time um to create uh, a system of national banks and to create a single national currency you know at the outset of the Civil War, yes, people talked about dollars and prices were set in dollars. But when you actually pulled a, a banknote out of your pocket, it wasn't a banknote issued as it is today by the Federal Reserve Bank. No, it was issued by whatever, the Lafayette Bank of Cincinnati. And when you looked at it, you said, hmm, is that the bank I heard that was going bankrupt or is that the bank that's actually quite solid? And um, uh, it was the golden age of counterfeiting because there were so many different banks and banknotes that it was very easy to um, to pass off counterfeits. And so he really brought this all back almost in-house. So, it, yeah. Right. It brings it in-house. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so really, you know, is is rightly viewed as kind of the father of the banking system that we have today and, and of those dollar bills that you have in your mm -hmm. pocket. Mm -hmm. And then this fascinating man becomes a Supreme Court justice. So he really is just a, a gifted. He, he, he would correct you and say chief justice. Ah, good. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Chief justice. Yeah. So just a, a brilliant gifted man. What, what was he like as the Supreme? Yeah. Uh, is it maybe, court justice? Maybe I should chief back justice. up and talk a little about what he was like in general. He was not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, unlike his cabinet colleague and sometimes friend, sometimes rival, William Henry Seward, um, about whom I wrote a few years ago, he was not sort of a social, a terribly social animal. Uh, he he entertained a couple of times and he occasionally would go out to dinner. But it wasn't, you know, Seward during the Civil War, as best I can tell, never dined alone. He was always either hosting people at his house or being hosted. Um, he was a more reserved, bookish man, somewhat serious. Some some people said he didn't have a sense of humor. I I disagree. I I think he did have kind of a subtle sense of humor, and I quote a lot of letters to uh, to show that. Um, 
So then turning to your question about what he's like as chief justice, I mean, in a sense, he's the model of what you would want as chief justice. He's, um, you know, dignified and reserved, but um, but he's, you know, very alive to the ways of Washington and helps kind of navigate the court through some tricky political water. Um, he presides at the trial of our first presidential impeachment, the impeachment of Andrew Johnson. Um, and then he's a candidate for president in 1868, which does not seem very, uh, very judicial to us, but was not so unusual in the 19th century. Well, again, the title is Salmon P. Chase, Lincoln's Vital Rival. I have to tell you, when I first read the title, I just I thought of that. You know that idiom: you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And I wonder, I wonder if you'd go back maybe and tell us a little bit about the title and and yeah. how Chase was this vital rival. Yes, well, I will admit the title went back and forth quite a bit. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the interesting things about writing a book, you know, you have a lot of control what goes on inside, but actually the contract. My contract, and I think pretty much every contract, that the the cover and the title are, are the publisher's choice. Um, but um, we wanted to get Lincoln in the title just to sort of be sure everyone knew what we were talking about. We're talking about someone who was a contemporary and a rival, and to some extent a friend of, of Abraham Lincoln. Um, um, and vital is. You know, I could have chosen a different word. I, you know, my Seward book title subtitle is something like uh, Lincoln's indispensable man, and I could have used that for this too. I mean, Link, you know, Chase was um, indispensable both before the war, as we talked about, and building anti-slavery politics, but also during the war. Um, Lincoln doesn't have the huge White House staff that. President Biden enjoyed, you know, he had a handful of folks, his cabinet, really. And he so he relied on them very heavily, not just in their little silos, Seward for foreign affairs or trade chase for financial affairs, but but much more broadly um, uh, talking about, you know, whether the slaves should be emancipated and how and talking about whether the former slaves should be enlisted in the Union Army and on what terms and um, going with him to the front. Um, so lo- lots of um, lots of responsibilities for Lincoln's key cabinet members during the war. Well, a moment ago, we talked a little bit about Chase and kind of perhaps his uh, coming to grips with the the fact that he he was a Republican. he He was the founder of the Republican Party, and the Republican Party has changed so much uh, even over the last ten years. And I wonder from your research, which was just exhaustive, very impressive about Chase, what do you think he would say about today's partisan Republican? party and, and the makeup of many of the members as as, as founder of the Republican Party. <sighs> I always try to stay away from current politics. Yeah. I try, yes, I, yes. My goal is to write books that Americans of all political persuasions, from the most progressive to the most conservative, can read and and find at some points, you know, moments where they say, ah, okay, this, you know, um, so, you know, there are many things that um, m- many ways in which his version of republicanism is different from current. I mean, he was, you know, I mean, 
the, the Republicans and Democrats were sort of precisely reversed in that the Republicans were the friends of, of blacks, both Southern and Northern, and the Democrats were uh, hostile and in some cases um, even, even more than hostile, violent against uh, blacks. Um, uh, the, the other thing I tell people is that when you despair about our current politics, spend a little while before and after the Civil War. Uh, we haven't had, as they had um, in uh, uh, shortly before the Civil War, we haven't had a member of the House of Representatives nearly kill a member of the Senate on the Senate floor. Um, so... Um, Things may not be great now, but they weren't great at that time either. Well, as I say, the, the book is wonderful and getting great reviews. I have to tell you, I really enjoyed the pictures. <laughs> I think, you know, the... the well, thank you. Yeah. What, Paul, that, what, that's, that, uh, that is a lot of work. I'll bet. Um, finding them and, you know, some of them are, how to put it, relatively easy, you know, stuff that's at the Library of Congress you don't have to get permission for, but... Some of them, I'm looking at his daughter, Kate Chase, as she looked, um, oh, as a kind of late teenage years when she started to charm much older men in Columbus, Ohio. And um, that one, you know, I had to track down the people to, to get the permission and, um, you know, get, get their okay to use it. I'll bet. I'll bet that took a lot of work. It's impressive, and and I do want to encourage our audience to to get this book uh, by Walter Starr for many many reasons. But just these these photos are just incredible. I I'm looking at the one right now, Walter Starr of um, it's Hiram Barney, and it was Ch- Salmon Chase's friend. Yeah. But he apparently he held the most coveted patronage position in the United States. He was the collector of customs for the Port of New York. Yes. That must have been a great story to have researched a bit, too. Oh, yes. And I know when when folks finally get this book and it's so thick, they'll think, oh, my goodness. But in fact, there were things that got cut and I I could have gone on at much more length. But um, the Customs House of New York was an amazing place. Um, It kind of one of the largest federal facilities. And at the time, you know, we had no income tax. That's another thing that Chase kind of brings into existence. Um, uh, and so we relied on customs and the, the folks in the um, custom houses weren't paid very much. It was just understood that they had a whole system of, of separate private fees. Um, and it was also understood that um, some of those fees would be plowed back into political activities. So um, it was it was quite the coup when Chase got his friend rather than Seward's friend into that post um, and then managed to to keep him there throughout Chase's time um, in the fascinating. Treasury. Just a fascinating person. Walter Starr, our guest today, will be at the Smithsonian Associates presentation coming up. We're going to have links to where you can find out more about this wonderful book, Salmon P. Chase, Lincoln's Vital Rival. We'll have links to the WalterStarr.com website, as well as the Smithsonian Associates website, so you can get details about how to attend the upcoming presentation. Well, final question for you, too, because I, I did just love the research in addition to the photos and, uh, and again, exhaustive. You found many 
primary sources of information about Chase, and including some wonderful diaries, it sounds like. So I wonder, maybe just leave us with this a couple things that, that you learned about the man that impressed you most. Um, I mean, the, the diaries, you know, um, starting in his kind of late teenage years and running pretty much through his death, not every year. I think some of the volumes were lost and the letters, um, letters to friends, to daughters, to union generals. I think, you know, one of the things that impressed me most was just his um, his steady determination to, you know, get up every morning, typically before dawn, um, and uh, after brief reading of the Bible and private prayer to sort of throw himself into the work of the day and often still be working, you know, well into the night. Um, uh you know, it was hard work being Secretary of the Treasury or, and for that matter, being Chief Justice. Um, so just the the sheer sort of persistence of the man. Um, well, thank you. And as I said, the other aspect that I think is, you know, I, I tried to bring out without sort of hammering people's head was that the, the man did have a sense of humor. Yes, he was not a a joke teller and backslapper, but he did, he did have a sense of humor, um, uh, that I think shown most in sort of small gatherings with friends. Fascinating. Wonderful time together today. I know your upcoming presentation at Smithsonian Associates will be equally wonderful. The book is fantastic. Again, Walter Starr has been our guest. His new book, Salmon P. Chase, Lincoln's Vital Rival, is available for pre-order and price guarantee, and we will have links to where you can find it. Walter Starr, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thanks for being so generous to read to us as well. What a what a great honor it's been to speak with you. We'd love to have you back as you're as you're doing more work, especially about these historical subjects. We'd love to have you come back and talk to us again. Okay. Good. My thanks to Walter Starr for his generous time and preparation today. Walter Starr will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates via Zoom on December 13th, and the title of his presentation is Salmon P. Chase Lincoln's Vital Rival. For more details and ticket information, please go to our website. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe. Get your flu shot and your booster for COVID. Recommend others do the same. And let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show Smithsonian Associates interview series. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next week. A better one. Old Abe Lincoln built up a better one many long years ago. Many long years ago. Many long years ago. Old Abe Lincoln built up a better one many long years ago. Many long years ago.